Hello, everyone. Welcome to the sixth conversation in the future of Fujito Clubhouse. So where we are weekly on Monday nights or afternoons or mornings, uh, depending on your time zone. Um, so our topic today is discovering the transformation to digital decarbonization. So I'm really looking forward to this topic. Um, so we'll be discussing the rise of digital tools and this kind of transformation, as well as the urgent matter of carbon impact and how we can begin to implement this within the fashion industry. So, and also just a reminder that this talk will be recorded um, and then uploaded to a podcast. Um, so about me, I'm Kahlo in URL of this digital world, and then Lauren Ketcher in IRL in real life. And I'm a fashion designer with experience in New York, London, and Paris, and also a founder of the digital luxury label Alterage, which will be launching this November. So in this group, our intention is to explore how digital transformation and fashion can make our planet circular, eco-responsible, socially respectful, and individually empowering. Um, so just letting you know that this conversation will run for about an hour long, and then after around 40 minutes or so, um, I'll open up the stage for the last 20 minutes. But anyone, if, if you have a question before then, feel free to raise your hand and we'll bring you up. So today we're joined by Dale Parr, who is the Chief Operating Officer at Fresh Couture, as well as a consultant, digital blogger, and entrepreneur. So Dale is focused on helping the fashion industry develop foundational strategies that address the sustainability and carbon reduction challenge. So we are really looking forward to speaking with him today on that, as well as an upcoming digital fashion project. So welcome, Dale. Would you like to tell us maybe to start out a bit about your background um, and kind of what began your interest in digital fashion? Yeah, absolutely. I'd, I'd love to tell tell the story. Uh, first of all, thanks, Lauren, for inviting me on. Uh, it's my first clubhouse, so it's, exci it's an exciting moment. Yes. Um, and digital fashion has really um, captured my imagination in the last six months. Um, but my kind of fashion story goes goes way, way back, I'm afraid. Um, so I'm, um, I'm 41. Yeah, I am the couture and have been for um, two years. Um, but probably the most important part of my role uh, within Fresh is leading the research and development and also the deployment of digital fashion NFTs. Um, the purpose is about rapid innovation, fundamentally, uh, but, you know, it also looks into the enhanced customer experiences that digital fashion can offer. And also from a commercial perspective, uh, looks at the kind of the, the loaded benefits for IP holders in the licensed consumer product space, because um, there's big opportunities there, you know, using using the programmability of, of NFTs. And so that's obviously an exciting aspect. But I suppose, you know, it's the decarbonization thing that's that's, that's really kind of uh, captured my imagination there. Uh, but before we kind of unpack all of that, I'll give you a little rundown on on me and, um, and where this all began. For me, the fashion interest began back in the 90s, um, big big sneaker collector obsessed with Michael Jordan, Air Max, all the retros, Adidas as a teenager. Um, 
and so that's kind of really what captured my kind of um, captured my my imagination when it came to fashion. Um, but fashion didn't instantly become a career um, because, like probably a lot of people will will kind of um, understand, is in the nineties, careers in fashion were very very hard to come by. Um, and you had to have quite specialist skills and you had to go to specialist colleges and you didn't have the tools um, and the understanding and the creative um, platforms that you have now. So I kind of, when I came out of school, I actually ended up having a career which spanned around 10 years. Uh, that started off in my hometown in Peterborough, um, which is just on the end. And then I ended up spending ten, uh, kind of eight years in London working working in the city in financial services. Um, it wasn't until 2000, uh, 2007, 2008, when I proposed to my wife, now Catherine, and uh, we'd had enough came to the northeast. And it was then when I was really able to get my teeth into something I truly kind of loved. Um, and in 2008, I launched an online sneaker store. Um, and that's where my kind of entrepreneurial kind of spirit came through. Um, it was kind of a you know a pioneering space at the time. You know, Facebook had been around a couple of years. Buying shoes online was not normal, um, and so I, I set up. Um, it was called Soul Heaven, um, and that became the idea was that it would be powered by the community. You know, in a similar way that blockchain and Discord communities are powering digital fashion NFTs, uh, it was the kind of the same premise. Uh, I felt that social media had the power to bring together people with a common interest and a common love for footwear, and it was about trying to compile the best assortment of sneakers that I could find from markets and trading platforms across the world. Um, I was importing sneakers from America, China into the uk i was also going and kind of hunting down grails wherever i could at the time and soul heaven actually became an omni-channel business um 90 online 10 percent in our in our flagship 60 international territories and we were launching all of the most hypey sneakers every single week and we're talking kind of you know 20 30 releases every week you know the jordans the the Nikes, the Harachis, uh, the New Balance, the Asics, the Lecoq Sportifs, all kind of the quick collectibles. But about 10 years into that project, so we're kind of talking 2018, um, we actually experienced a massive supply chain failure. Um, Painful time and actually forced the business to close. Um, which was, you know, heartbreaking um, for not just for me, but for everyone involved because we had a really, really good team. Um, but the kind of the phoenix that came out out of that um, was it was that was the moment that I discovered blockchain. Um, that was the moment I I was able to kind of like really think about how supply chains operate, um, where the power lies. Um, and I really wanted to explore if smart smart contracts, you know, DLTs, where the blockchain can actually help um, international supply chains operate, you know, more transparently and in a fairer way to all sizes, um, 
all actors within within the um, within the supply chain. Um, and also, there's the added benefit of the kind of immutable provenance um, that definitely would help in the sneaker game, as I'm sure any anyone anyone understands. There's just like legit checks happening all over the place, like millions a day, people trying to buy and sell collectibles, and they just they just don't know whether they're dealing with the real deal or fakes, um, and even. Even the big operators like Stadium Goods and Grailed, they still rely on humans, you know, the discretion of an individual to really spot whether something is, is legit or not. And it's it's cool that people have that level of understanding, but again, it's very dependent on, on an individual. And again, you know, b- blockchain, smart contracts, NFTs particularly, um, can certainly certainly streamline that um so that was 20 2018 and that kind of really got me thinking and at the time i was trying to come up with uh, a way of working on that authenticity piece using um nfts using um using virtual wardrobes um new kind of trading um trading platforms similar to to ebay but all all blockchain based um but a lot of cut short actually because uh, shortly after um i was introduced to jamie and nathan who were the founders of fresh couture um that was in 2019 and um they were three years into the fresh couture project and they'd had huge success um the the clothing had been featured on numerous uk tv shows um it was going into all the high street players and they needed some experience solidifying their position um and so i came in i was appointed coo and uh, i've taken over the daily management of the supply chain um the e-commerce the marketing functions and the pnl um and so that's kind of a backstory of my experiences and what what got me into fresh couture awesome thanks so much for yeah it's really interesting how we all have kind of like these different backgrounds and it's all leading us here to this room <laughs> <singing> together <laughs> about digital fashion so yeah um and also later on i'd like to hear more about how yeah we can kind of utilize leverage blockchain and smart contracts to kind of give this verification and Mm. remove maybe human error but but yeah so maybe do you want to go a bit more into about fresh couture um kind of what if i don't know how far you want to get into it but um how what you're kind of working on now um yeah maybe yeah how you're kind of thinking of leveraging um digital fashion yeah sure so um it was probably before lockdown, actually. Uh, well, basically, what we're doing with Fresh right now is we have a digital-only NFT release that's about two weeks away from launch. So we have 16 um, 3D assets that are um, they're beautiful. Um, we're working with uh, the Global Designer Network that I know you know well, Lauren, you're part of, um, yes. helping us create. Uh, lots of wonderful marketing collateral. Um, some of the kind of virtual worlds, that w- the scenes that we've created to, to go along with each color story are mind-blowing. And I really am excited to start showing people this. And hopefully from Thursday, 
uh, we'll have the press release, you know, released from its embargo and we can start showing the world what we're doing. Um, the, the whole sustainability piece, because I've, because I've got such a, a lot, a, a lot of years under my belt in terms of dealing with supply chains, firstly with sneakers, secondly with, with like leisure and sporting apparel. Um, I just see it every day in my, in, in my work and I, it, 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 it it jars on me personally like I, I drive an electric car I have done for for five years um you know I'm generally you know I don't eat much meat uh, I'm quite sustainably minded person um and the supply chain in my work really kind of bothered me and it bothered Nathan and Jamie as well and we've been kind of puzzling on how we can how can we can deal with it and the obvious stuff is going to sustainable cottons um and various other fabrics um but we felt that is that really solving the bigger picture because the bigger picture and that people tend to skirt around is just the chronic overproduction of product um brands and stakeholders and leaders are very much focused on the commercial performance of their business and they pump product out into the market because they have numbers to hit it's not about whether people want them or whether the product's relevant it's about production equals revenue equals bottom line um, and that overproduction piece is is fundamentally a problem but the only way we can we can you know convince business leaders to change is to provide an alternative revenue stream one that is carbon neutral you know even better if it can be carbon negative if we can give them access to digital economies that enable them to slow down the physical production, that will have a huge, huge impact and and rapidly decarbonize the industry. So that's the that's the thinking. But before we got to that point, we kind of went through all the stuff that most brands have gone through when they look at their sustain the sustainability credentials, they look at their supply chain, look at their factories, they look at um, look at the materials they use. You know, we started to talk to a local company um, that did recycled plastics. Um, Jamie knew them personally. We went down and looked at their setup. They had about 20,000 square foot warehouse. They had recycled, they had they, they recovered plastics from all across the region and they were basically sorting it and shipping it into pellets. And we're talking like window frames, we're talking plastic bottles, we're talking drain pipes, you know, whatever it was, bins, all sorts of stuff. So the idea there was, well, let's try and produce our own recycled poly fibre because there's, there's, a, there's a resource here, it's recycling. Let's do that because, you know, you're starting to see companies saying, oh, there's five plastic bottles in this T-shirt, etc." So we thought maybe this, this could be something that we could do. Uh, maybe we could be a provider of, of a fibre, you know, to really try and help not only us, but other brands. But the more we kind of looked into it, um, you know, there's a lot of kind of high pressure machinery used. And actually there isn't even there isn't even a fibre. I can't remember the name of the machine, but there isn't even this particular machine in the UK. It would have taken a huge, huge amount of investment to, to set it up. But when we look deeper into recycled polys, is that, again, you know, with one problem you solve, you actually create another problem because um, once you've recycled 
the polyester from a bottle into a fiber and then turned it into an item of clothing, it's then redundant again. So instead of putting a plastic bottle into the ground, you end up putting um, the plastic fibers in, in the way of a garment ultimately into the ground because uh, it's you know very difficult to to repair um impossible to recycle a second time and also with every wash it releases microplastics into the water systems so again it's it's a, it's a solution and appears to be a solution to dealing with the plastic bottle problem but actually it's not it's not perfect um and then lockdown happened um, and so that was kind of we realized that that probably wasn't wasn't an avenue we could we could progress with. Lockdown happened, and you know the last eighteen months, you know, speaking for for everybody, have been incredibly difficult. Um, personally, you know, professionally, I think every every business, every business owner, every every employee, everybody has had a hell of a lot to to cope with across the world. Um, but I, you know, I'm a positive kind of guy, and I try and always try and take something positive from from all experiences. And I suppose that me personally, having the time to like pause, reflect, and kind of reprioritize, um, you know, has been valuable. You know, and I think a lot of people have probably taken a step back uh, and questioned kind of what we really need. In our lives, you know, take stock and con- even start to consider some of those bigger societal questions around health and safety, like consumption. Like, what do we need? What have we been buying? What have we been wasting, you know, money on or, or like, you know, have negative impact on our health doing, you know, obviously the big sustainability piece and also kind of gender gender equality and and the bigger you know equality piece has been going on i think a lot a lot of people have had a moment to um to really get their heads around those big topics and i think you know right now as we're coming out of this um i think humanity i think has a fleeting moment to make meaningful change um and i think that we've got to be really careful that we don't let the fashion industry and any other kind of, you know, polluting industry kind of just automatically rebound back into old habits. And particularly with fashion, um, you know, people will just drop back into kind of what's quick, easy, something they understand, something that's um, going to make them money. And I'm concerned that mass production and overconsumption um, could just we could end up back where we were. And I think we only have six months to really capture people's imagination, encourage change. Otherwise, you know, this moment could be lost. Um, And I think from a consumer level perspective, I think there is openness for change. Um, You know, we've got lots happening around us. You know, we're in between fashion weeks and we've got the COP26 coming up. And I think that... um, this is a moment that that we need to capitalize on and really i kind of want to be um i want to be an advocate for change and i want to be open about what fresh couture is doing and i don't want to make it all about competitive advantage i think it has to be about 
showing brands of any size or scale that this can be done and it's not going to it's not going to you know you're not going to need to you know more remortgage your house and there's there's good commercial opportunities for for every business and there's and there's great sustainability outcomes um so you know i think we're in the i think we're in a bit of a the eye of of what i'm seeing as a bit of a perfect storm you know people have seen and experienced how vulnerable humanity is you know we don't want to be talking about this in eight years time when the paris agreement kind of comes to fruition and you know we're we're miles off you know that is that's her that would be a horrendous place to be we have the benefit that technological innovations have matured so we can start taking seriously um lots of the extended reality experiences um you know respected research bodies like mckinsey have have stated that fashion needs to reduce its carbon output by 48 percent by 2030 and that's just a, a scary number you know um is it is it even achievable i don't know um there's like we we're talking about earlier lauren on linkedin it's like there has to be many levers at play here so the circularity is going to be important but also the the digitization is is going to be important as well and uh, you know every brand is going to have a bit of a blend of how they how they tackle things um but one of the one of the big drivers and this may be specific to to certain brands is have you heard of the snap and send back culture no tell me more okay so there's been some research done here in the uk uh by one of the biggest car um like credit card or bank card issuers called barclay card um and on average 13 percent of uk adults buy clothing to snap on screen for a social media post and then return to vendor. The items are never seen in public. They're never worn outside. They're only seen on screen. That's, that is, that is a, a real fact. And it's actually Gen Z are better. They're about 9%. And it's actually the kind of like the older millennial segment. It's actually 17% do that every year. And if you think that's just the UK, and that's worth about five billion, five billion pounds, bad for the vendor because they have to take stock back after it's been through like carriage and logistics. They have to store it again. They have to try and sell it again. Bad for the environment because of the production, the sampling, um, again the the freight, you know, the agricultural waste, the petroleum waste. The, the damage to the water supply um you know through the dying processes you know um it's just incredibly wasteful and it's being driven by social media um so what i'm seeing i'm seeing a future where it doesn't have to be like one thing or another i just see quite an exciting future of people having a virtual wardrobe alongside their physical wardrobes the virtual wardrobes are something that they tap into when they're on screen, when they're on social, on games. 
something they can have that's going to be super expressive and creative, like wardrobes that could not physically, like like garments that could not physically exist, you know? And that goes alongside their physical. And it would be kind of like, you know, it'll be a, it'll be a blend. It'll be, it'll be, I think it'd be really cool um, to have that, to be honest. Um, and that's where kind of digital fashion and certainly the NFT is a really, really exciting prospect because it offers, you know, next level creativity, next level self-expression and goes beyond anything we could do physically. Because, you know, fashion is all about identity and we're in an era of individualism. And NFT has the power to like elevate how we present ourselves. And it's like, you know, profile pictures, you know, that's like web two, I suppose. And like we're talking digital, digital twins wearing digital fashion, exclusive, you know, high quality, high fidelity um, outfits for the future of, uh, of web three. Totally agree. I mean, there's so many great points you brought up, like where to even start to kind of break those down. <laughs> but I mean, you did a great summary of the current problems we're having. I mean, how essential this period of time is now, like we're essentially building a new process, a new system um, that and I think also what you said before about how companies believe, okay, um, higher quantity of a physical production is going to then directly result in higher profit. And so bringing to the table a new solution. And so um, you you also spoke a lot about um, basically how brands can kind of introduce digital transformation in a scalable way. Since mm-hmm. I think what we're finding now is this physical overproduction isn't scalable. We're damaging the planet. We're damaging people. Um, yeah. And how can we do this in a new way? So I know yeah with with fresh couture you you guys are proposing a new solution and as well as you um working with with other brands um so maybe you ha- can speak a bit more about like maybe some specific examples of um how how you're starting to get digital fashion more kind of intertwined with with our typical maybe supply chain yeah so the 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 idea is it's quite quite ambitious we're trying to move 50% of our collection to digital only um to start off with um over the next kind of you know we want to kind of achieve that by the end of end of quarter one of next year um but you know we know it's going to be um we can't rush this um certainly the the idea of of owning digital clothing isn't going to come naturally to everybody um we're trying to kind of structure the idea in a way of being experiential you know, we think that still, you know, one one of the problems with with sustainable sustainable brands is that there's an awful lot of of guilt in in the marketing speak in the in the communication, um, and I think that some people will respond to it, others others may not, others might think, well, I just want some new clothes, I don't want to feel guilty about 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 that. Um, and so we're trying to steer this in a way that's going to be kind of exciting, um, you know, in a way that's going to be you know, augmented reality, in a way that's going to be about wearing brands in game. Um, because 
I'm really dubious about what I saw Balenciaga do um, a couple of weeks ago with Fortnite. I felt that that, that was an opportunity missed. Um, you know, they could have, well, they couldn't have done NFTs because Fortnite don't really, um, that's a closed closed system. Um, and a digital asset within the game is, is effectively worthless anyway, outside of the game. You know, we can't even get it out of the game. It doesn't have any value outside of the game. Like with with an open source metaverse and digital fashion NFTs, it means that, you know, you have sovereignty of ownership and it's just like owning a real thing, but in a digital world. And, you know, with the, we're using a Unity, th- uh, Unity avatar system that enables will enable our clothing to be moved or to be used um, in hundreds of games um, and also in augmented reality. So it means that when people buy ours, our digital fashion NFTs, it means that they've got almost instant utility. It means they can have their avatar moonwalking in their kitchen, wearing their new clothing straight away and put it straight on TikTok. TikTok. You know, it's got that that instant gratification. Um, and if they want the physical version, and the, we're not quite there yet with our own physical supply chain, but we would like to to do that if we can, where some releases will be just made custom orders, made to order. So if people could choose, they can go right digital only, um, because I just need a little update um, for my social presence. Or if there's something they really love, they can go digital first. And two weeks later, receive the physical. Yeah, totally agree. Right, because I mean, there's there's different use cases for digital, for physical. Um, I know for me, like I don't want to wear the same physical outfit that I would in maybe like this crazy metaverse space. Um, yeah. What? So then, for you, focusing on the digital utilities, are you um, working mostly kind of with metaverses um, or filters? Do you have kind of a focus on the use cases for the digital? Yeah, so I don't know. Is Martin Hughes with us? Um, I don't see him. Is he, I think he might have had. Is a- he on yet? Yeah, no, he did. He was. He was. He had uh, something pre-booked between uh, eight and half eight. So um, we we've specifically um, partnered up with um, um, a metaverse called Metaverse Me. Um. And it's all about kind of, you know, utility, uh, the digital twin um, that basically is powered by selfies. So so how, how it would work is you would buy our digital fashion NFT. They're going to be sold on Venly. Um, once you have that, an email will come through and it will give you um, access to Metaverse Me. You'd take a selfie um, and then your avatar would then wear the clothing you've just bought from Fresh Couture. Uh, you can then use that, like I say, in-game or in augmented reality straight away. Um, so it's almost like, a, a, you know, a representation of yourself, you know. Um, and so then you would have um, your own, you, basically the beginnings of your of your own kind of fashion wardrobe. Awesome. And that really covers also this kind of um, cross getting across different platforms, because I think we're having a bit of difficulty saying, okay, we want to use this as a filter on whether it's Snapchat or Instagram, and now we want to port it to a metaverse. That's super exciting um, that you then are able to kind of create this this avatar in in a pretty seamless way. And then for Mm -hmm. the avatar, is that like, 
how um, customizable is that, or is it really based on your selfie? No, it is. No, no, it is. It is. Um, you can have um, whatever uh, hair color, body shape, what, whatever, whatever you want. It's entirely up to you. You can have it just, you know, represent, you know, like a, a, an image of yourself, or you can you can just customize it however you choose. Amazing. And so, for but the great, the great thing sorry. about unit, the great thing about Unity is that it's um, it's open sourced, and there's loads of use cases for it. Um, We've also been in, in a conversation with an Oculus um, app called Go Clubbing, and they've got this incredible 3D nightclub music venue, um, and it's it, it totally, totally immersive. Like the laser shows inside the, the rooms are, are amazing. And they want to have a cloakroom, uh, and in that cloakroom, as, as, you, as you kind of, you know, depending on the, the theme of the night, the music, the musicality, um, or if there's kind of a specific theme, or the room is decked out in a certain way, you can you can dress accordingly. You know, fashion NFTs. So you can even have your own kind of night out out kind of outfit, just ready to go. Amazing! All, yeah, all, all because to bring of Unity. It. Yeah, you bring loads of events in. Yeah, yeah. Um, Unity is for us just it's democratic and decentralized, open source. Well, not decentralized, but it's open sourced, and it's just got loads and loads of great, great uh, projects. Awesome! So exciting! And um, so then, when you guys are going to be launching soon, um, your your setup NFTs. So um, will that also kind of have this crop cross platform um, operability, or um, what do you kind of include within that NFT? Yeah. So with the NFT, there will be unlockable experiences um, because that's kind of part of part of the fun. You know, the thing is, the great thing about NFTs is you can you can bake in all sorts of really exciting characteristics that you just can't do um, with with the real with the real thing. Um, and so Metaverse Me have got loads of great ideas about um about some of the music NFTs they're working on, uh, that kind of prov- that are going to provide kind of augment live, well not live, but augmented reality experiences from the musicians that you can have and use in your homes and share with your friends, and it's all going to be unlockable because of the the characteristics of the NFT. Um, now, it's relatively commercial because we don't want to scare. We don't want to scare our fans um, by showing them crazy outfits from day one because it's a journey for everybody. So we're starting off with some of our icons, but we're also bringing in sneakers. And again, this is kind of a bit of me there, but um, sneakers are an incredibly expensive product to to conceptualize and develop and, and, and do production runs in you know, and very prohibitive. And that's why we have like, you know, just a handful of big brands because very hard for anyone to break into the market unless you've got like serious amount of capital. Um, but we now have, we now have a sneaker. So people can have a fresh couture sneaker. They can't do that in the physical world, but they can do it in the digital world, which is, you know, it's very liberating to be able to do that. Yes. So exciting. Totally agree. 
Um, and also, I think there's an interesting culture around sneakers as well that goes really well with NFTs. Like it's like almost right, like this this preserved sneaker, like even like left in the box, left in the plastic, like has more value than than actually wearing the sneaker. So it's it kind of becomes like an asset. So uh, I think it goes quite well, yeah, with with NFTs from, from yeah, Art Jordans in my loft under the stairs that have never been worn. Um, we're talking, you know, some of them 10, 15 years old. Um, they're just on ice. Um, <laughs> and they're, that's just, that's where they are. It's like, they don't need to be like that, do they? You know, when people just only post up on Instagram when they've got their new hype, that could be just an NFT. And again, think about, you know, sneakers are particularly bad, like pol- polluting because of all the, all the glue and the materials that just do not, um do not comp- um, decompose you know and it could be it could be digital nfts for sneakers easily totally yeah i mean bringing together like when do we need something to be physical when do we need it to be digital and yeah. i guess i want to kind of bring us back to this idea of decarbonization so how then do we kind of approach this? It's a really big, I mean, kind of scary word because it makes us feel maybe like we're going uphill, like up a big mountain. And so um, I guess how do we kind of start to quantify that? Because I guess I see it as we need to understand what are the numbers are as we start to find solutions. So for you, um, do you have a way that, that you'll be kind of quantifying these different maybe impact of emissions, um, how that can kind of compare between physical and digital? Quantifying is, is seriously hard um, because just the transparency of international supply chains, so much happens out of sight. Um, very, very difficult to prove. Um, and, you know, with the best will in the world, um, there will be some unscrupulous operators with, within the supply chains. And for smaller brands, it's much harder. You know, with with bigger brands, obviously they have teams of people looking at CSR and they're on the ground. Um, they're on site and they're able to validate the information. But certainly for mid and, and small brands, don't have that luxury. Um, and so we have to work on the premise that we understand like how long it takes to to sample products to prototype to review fits lab dips we know all the logistics that happen like we were trying to get some uh, get some embroidery approved last summer it took seven attempts to get this embroidery approved and that's seven seven times dhl have bought us a packet on an overnight transfer from turkey it's like you know the co2 is 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 blatantly obvious it's difficult to quantify but we can we can see it that it's definitely definitely um a problem so i think it's all you know it's fairly obvious to say that developing digital assets and going digital first helps a brand speed to market it helps them understand the relevance of their product without going into production so you don't end up with the um with the forecasting and the potential errors being made by having something produced then when it lands on the shelf in three six months time that people actually their styles that people don't really want or or even care about and those excess units 
are essentially part of the waste problem you know um digital first just keeps you relevant certainly now because the the marketplace is so far so dynamic it's very difficult for a brand to stay on point when things are, are being made for delivery in th- three six months time for sure and i think i mean for so long it's kind of about who tells who what they want like i think the yeah. fashion industry has had this perspective of being like okay we tell the consumer you what you want and then um, that's then how like the market will function. But what's so exciting now is as right, we put digital first, we start to integrate this at the beginning, even show the design before it's produced. Um, we work with the consumer and say, okay, what do you want? How do we arrive at something where we both maybe can compromise or create something that the consumer really wants and just avoid all this massive overproduction, massive sampling? Like, And then imagine we have six rounds of this embroidery and then we sell none of it. So it's yeah, like, yeah. how do we make informed decisions with digital? So yeah, I'm totally with you. You're so right. Like last summer, we, we kind of take this approach anyway. We call it open source branding because um, back last summer, we did um, we just had a load of ideas for designs. We put them on Instagram. We did a poll. People, the, the, the audience told us which ones they wanted to see. We had them made and they bought them. You know, it just, it was fantastic. And so we felt that maybe 10, 20% of our collections we can do that continually because obviously it helps add a bit of value back in because they've set co-creation piece. They've kind of participated in the journey of the brand. And then when it arrives, they buy it because they've been kind of eagerly waiting for it to come in, you know? Awesome. Yes, totally agree. Um, also, we have about 15 minutes left. So if anyone yeah. from the audience wants to jump up, ask Dale a question, he has a lot of great things to say. Um, let's see. Then you also mentioned something called direct to avatar. Would you like to maybe explain a bit more about that? I mean, you you've, you have started, but I love this phrase. Yeah, d- d- instead of being direct to consumer, it's d- direct to avatar. So it's it's kind of the same premise. So instead of it coming to your home, you know through like uh fedex it goes direct to your digital twin so it dresses it almost dresses your avatar rather than dressing yourself right and then that would be through metaverse me right is that pretty much kind of who you're yeah 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 i'm fundamentally through through unity uh we think we're going to be able to do this kind of across the board so um yeah it's, it's an exciting opportunity amazing so then um, as you're working, yeah, with Fresh Couture, are you also going to be working with, with other brands as well, or um, focus focusing with Fresh? Oh well, it's 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 Fresh. You know, this is um, you know, I'm a I'm a director and shareholder, um, so Fresh is obviously my focus. Um, but like I think I touched on, like this isn't about commercial opportunity or or wealth creation. You know, for for us, this is about being pioneering and and fueling change and demonstrating you know the limitless creativity and inclusivity that the metaverse has the potential to offer so yeah if anybody wants to wants to talk um i'll happily share everything everything we've learned because i think there's there's a there's a bigger picture at play here Totally. And then maybe we can go a bit to, to the, the fidgetal since we are in the future of fidgetal. Yeah. 
So yeah. for you, at what point do you then believe that it's it's a good time to go to something physical? So we kind of remove um, this disposable physical fashion mentality and really move to something, right? Like made to order, um, yeah. made to even repair, kind of like going with this circular um, life cycle of what's the end of life of the product? How do we keep that in mind um, in both, I mean, digital and physical? Yeah, I, lo- I love the idea of designers hard coding kind of how a product will be dismantled and how the fabrics or the textiles can be reused um i think that's that's where it needs to be i suppose um when we talk about speed and when we talk about the the time pressures that that the industry is under it's like at what point or how quickly can that work its way through um the educational side of things you know um also the global standards that may be required because we all look at our washing labels and we know what those symbols mean. Um, We might need to be in a similar position when it comes to the dismantling and reuse of textiles. Uh, There there may need to be some global standards that help facilitate and help, you know, um, produce kind of industrial scale operations that can quickly and, and cheaply, you know, dismantle and reuse so i love that idea i think it's really important that that people um take and the designers start to start to think about that that end of life and make things circular right where do you what do you think about that do you think there's there's um do you think a global standard would would be helpful yeah, for sure. And even in France, there was recently a law, I'm pretty sure it's in effect now, but it's for like, you can't destroy any new product. So I know like all the, the brands and everybody's kind of scrambling to find a solution. So I think for now, they're kind of putting all their maybe damaged products, um, unused products in like these massive warehouses. So they're just trying to ideate, okay, like, we've basically created a product that's impossible to take apart and impossible to reclaim the material. Like how do mm. we recycle that? And so um, I think a pretty good example, have you heard of Fairphone? Um, they're all about like, okay, we make this phone, but then how do we enable an, an economy where it's meant to repair? So either making it as easy as possible, even for the consumer to repair their phone, um, yeah. making parts really easy to take out and put back in. But I know, yeah, I mean, fashion is like, a new kind of, I mean, we have different materials, we sew things, that's, that's not so easy. But I mean, I'm seeing like some interesting solutions. Um, there's a, a thread called Resortex. And so their thread like can kind of instantly dissolve um, or melt, and it doesn't cool. leave residue or anything. So I think like that's super interesting. And like, even for me, as we're kind of starting to figure this out with Alterage, like, how do we create a product that is both like long lasting and durable, um, but then mm. also can be kind of like taken apart, um, change sizing, and then ultimately recycled at the end of its life. Um, I guess for me, we're focusing a bit more on kind of like monofibers um, yeah. fi- and trying to set up su- kind of like a supply chain, which you've done a lot, have a lot of experience within, but how do we create a partnership with, I guess, each supplier to say, okay, like either I have like these leftover remnants, can I send this back to you and you reduce generate it into new material um or even things like zero waste pattern making um where it's 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 a bit it's hard for me i'm still trying to learn it but um trying to yeah avoid as much waste as possible um but yeah but 
it's it's a, a new world and that's why I'm super excited. It's like to find solutions and bring together different people, different profiles across like digital and physical. And so I'm super excited about it. <laughs> yeah, I, I love the idea of like individualism. And I think the world is in a place where people can be a bit more kind of unique and expressive in their own way. And I think that the idea of having a warehouse full of garments is an amazing one. And if more people have the the skill and the talent the desire to to remake you know in this in the style of rayburn or or any of those brands um that's an amazing opportunity isn't it you know you could really pull together some incredible unique one-off pieces using old garments i, I love that idea So then for you, I guess, what would be your ideal vision for the fashion industry? Like, I guess let's let's go, what, 10 years? Like, how do you see this becoming more seamless, maybe, between, like, the physical and the digital world? Yeah, I think it's, you know, it's probably the, the, two, the two things we've spent most of the time discussing. It's going to be, um, you know, Gen Z are coming up. I've got a seven-year-old boy. Um, they are socializing you know, in game, you know, in virtual worlds. And the thing that, that the 40 somethings and 30 somethings have is that they think it's very black and white. It's either physical or digital. It's either in a 3D world or it's not a 3D world. But they, sometimes people think the, the, you can't have both, you know, you can have everything, you know. And I think, young, I think younger people understand that. They'll socialize on Minecraft but they'll socialize on Fortnite and they'll socialize on FIFA. And it's the, it's the same thing, you know. Young people will do that, and I think that's just going to continue happening. These, as these metaverses emerge, kids will buy their digital fashion, they'll have their NFTs, they might even have the digital real estate with their art, with their crypto art inside, and they'll be hanging out in various different places, but they'll still be seeing each other physically as well. It will just be different experiences, but still hanging out. And I think, I think we'll see a lot more of that in 10 years. Um, in terms of circularity, yeah, I, re I really hope that, that, you know, that everybody gets behind that. Um, I think it's really, really important. Um, but I think probably Leslie from last week would probably uh, probably have a role to play or, or people like him and in, in, in his roles of just like coming up with ways to, to educate the designers to make sure that they're, they're thinking about every aspect of design and it's not just about the aesthetic and the hand feel you know it's about the whole process totally agree Welcome, Katie. We had a chat previously a couple weeks ago. How are you? Yes, I'm good. How are you guys? Great. Welcome. Yeah, really not really well. Um, I was going to say, Dale, I love everything that you're talking about. It's all just, I think, spot on, wonderful, um, and fun. But I did have a question. So about the the design components kind of, you know, being broken apart, because that's something that I've been thinking about yeah. for some time. And I've been really peering back into the past. So something more, you know, middle ages um, and 
forward from that point to the French Revolution, because I think mm-hmm. some of the answers we can find for um, disassembling of product can be found in our past uh, as a human culture and, you know, why, why people had adjustable clothing at that time. Yeah. So I was wondering if you've had an opportunity to kind of like look at the past and take insight from that or not? You know what? I, I haven't. Um, I'm not a, um, I'm a fashion. I, I kind of see the world. I'm a fashion kind of like wearer and consumer and appreciator more so mm-hmm. than a designer. Um, so I don't really get into the nuts and bolts and the, the technology of, of the of the garment tech side of things but i think you're, i think you're spot on there that's that's a great way to look at it because you know there's mm-hmm. we can always learn a lot from from our history and i think that you know the, the clothing has been you know, iterated and developed you know through you know hundreds of years certainly in the in in the modern era um mm-hmm. i think that's an absolutely fantastic way to try and find solutions yeah well, thank you for the talk today. I really enjoyed it. Oh, that. you're very welcome. Katie, I'd be interested to know, have you found anything like from the past? Like I was, I used to do a lot with kind of like um, convertible clothing for unisex. Yeah. So I would use that just more as a way to kind of like change fit. Um, and even like, you know, like men have wider shoulders, women have narrow shoulders. So I made kind of like a gusset in the shoulder seam to kind of account for that. But yeah, have you come across anything? Yeah, Um I mean, it comes both from the way the the serfs would cut their clothes, um, because a a serf would have maybe three sets of clothes for, you know, 30 years of their life. And given their life expectancy, that was the majority of their lifespan. And and that's also where we can see corsets um, come into play, because uh, back then, you know, households didn't have much in, in 